1: What's up, everybody? Welcome into an OBR Film Breakdown podcast. I will be joined in a crossover variety by All Eyes on Cleveland and Brad Ward as we uh, do a bevy of different Browns topics. We're going to, you know, work through some mainstream stuff that was out there today. Uh, also going to hit on uh, also the the wide receiver review that I've been trying to continue on for this OBR Film Breakdown podcast. So, uh, l- like digging into this whole thing, a lot of moving parts today. Uh, Brad, welcome into the show, man. Excited to have you, and uh, obviously. You know, hope you're doing well, brother.
2: Yeah, man. Uh, excited to be with you. Uh, first time since our game day previews ended that we've uh, been able to catch up. So uh, glad to do it, sir. Yeah, so digging in, let's just jump in quick. So yeah. Um, first thing
1: that came out today, obviously from a newsworthy standpoint, for those of you paying attention to your Cleveland Browns, is uh, the the officially the Pro Football Riders Association put out they're all pro teams, um, which was nice because the Browns had three representatives on that list. Miles, Nick and Joel Batonio who have, who have been at the forefront of all of this. I don't think there are really any surprises. I think this is more. So uh, I think actually this is less surprising than I've seen some from the players list um, uh, that's come out. So Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, that means the big decision left off. There was Micah Parsons mm-hmm. from the defensive end units, which is a bit of a surprise. Um, you know, this one got it right. Chris Jones, Quentin Williams, from a defensive tackle standpoint, then you don't have Aaron Donald. But Aaron Donald didn't play a bunch. But they, they interestingly put Micah Parsons as an outside linebacker and Hassan Reddick, who I, I think Hassan Reddick had like 17 sacks. So he had a nice year for Philadelphia. Um, but they only, this is where the listings get weird because those guys are edge rush. I just will never understand why we can't delineate edge rushers from off ball linebackers. Right. There's only one first team off ball linebacker, Fred Warner. Uh, who is you know, Fred Warner is the modern Bobby uh, Wagner when he's yeah. at his peak, the modern, he's probably better suited to say a modern Luke Keekly. There's a clip out there of what uh, Fred Warner did from a mugged up. I, I talked about this on yesterday's pod, Brad. He was, uh, you know, sim, sim pressure mugged up in line of scrimmage and ran um, from the line of scrimmage, taking the the three by one, three by two actually was able to cover CeeDee Lamb up the middle of the field and run stride for stride with a Fred Warner's a special player. Yeah, um, he is. Uh, Sauce Gardner, one of the few rookies to ever do this. First team All Pro Patrick Sertan, two young guys, Minka Fitzpatrick, Talano Hufanga, which is fascinating. I know myself and um, Hawaii Browns who we were big Hufanga fans, who was taken in the middle rounds, late late draft pick. Um, so it's crazy seeing him being a first team All Pro. That's always, you know, you see your, your guys that you really like when you're a draft study, but they don't end up with yeah. your team. On the offensive side, Mahomes is your first-team quarterback. I think that's obvious. Nick and Josh Jacobs, obvious. Tyreek and Justin Jefferson. Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson feels right. Travis Kelsey, the only tight end. Jason Kelsey at center, so both the Kelsey brothers. Batonio, Zach Martin feels right. And then Lane Johnson, Trent Williams are your tackles. I don't think there's any real surprise there um, on that list. Uh, it's It's – seems mostly universal to just the finagling to get Parsons in there as an outside linebacker. I do think it does a little bit of an unfair injustice to some of the other off ball linebackers. There's is only one, but yeah, so it's cool to see the Browns get three though, which speaks to like, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of looking here. Philadelphia has one, two. So the Eagles have two, three. And then, yeah, I think the Eagles only have three. So I imagine the Browns are up there with, with, with the unique, three players on that list the 49ers have trent williams and fred warner and hafanga so they had three so again you're looking at teams with elite town here kansas city has three with chris jones jason kelsey and and mahomes or sorry travis kelsey mahomes you know who i don't see anyone on here from is the cincinnati Bengals, which yeah. is interesting right you know so speaking to elite talent but uh pretty cool to see them get that right
2: yeah, very cool to see that, you know, uh, speaks to their, their high, high-end talent on this roster, right? Uh, Betonio, Garrett, and Chubb are certainly worthy. And I think it's interesting, too, what you said about the linebackers. And it kind of goes to the overall, I mean, just a trend now for years where they kind of just devalue that position in general. And now they're devaluing it a little bit in the way they recognize it as well. So, uh, more— Seems like the only place more, that
1: gets that right is pro football focus anymore. Sure, it, it, uh, yeah. It's way. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's switch off that. That's that's the only like again league wide noteworthy thing that doesn't involve um, th- those teams that were in the that teams that are still alive in the playoffs because that's about it right now. But um, looking around at stuff around the Browns staff, so we're still kind of waiting to hear some of the final say on some guys are going to go or stay. There are still, you know, we've heard some things about Chad O'Shea on the offensive side interviewing. We've heard mm-hmm. about. Uh, Jeff Howard interviewing in L.A., linebacker's job. Um, There's a a lot of interesting stuff. I heard that chuckle. There's a lot of interesting (laughs) stuff going on about, like, originally we heard from Mary Kay Cabot, who's who's been kind of putting this in her notes, that the Browns would be keeping most of the defensive staff. Well, she walked that back a little bit today. And, again, this is just one person's opinion or what one person is hearing um, sort of around what the Browns are going to be doing with this staff stuff. So it's interesting to kind of – follow along and see sort of where this is all going, because these decisions are a huge decisions and they have to be made in a relatively quick time span. Here's what she said um, most recently. And I think it's her article that um, was just, uh, just up yesterday about uh, key factors and miles Garrett was a key factor in Schwartz hire and Chad O'Shea's interviewing around. I think that's the title secondary mm-hmm. coach, Jeff Howard interview with the chargers linebackers job last week could be on the move. Some of the, uh, same with a few of the other defensive assistants, and again, those guys are just looking to survive. The NFL at the assistant coach level, some guys are on an escalator to the top, some guys are just looking to survive and keep jobs. Like that's just how it goes, and you you know you're always fighting to keep your connections. She says Stefanski gave the coaches last week off while he wrapped up hiring uh, defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz, and the staff should be finalized over the next couple of weeks. While Stefanski and Schwartz will work together to retool the defensive staff, Stefanski will have the final say over who comes and goes. Of course, that's always going to be the case. Like. That's the, he's the head coach, but if Schwartz really wants somebody, he's going to get him. So it's a bit of a walk back. Brad, are you surprised to hear that? Because I think really what people started to consider as the the definitive word on this was that at the press conference, Schwartz said all of coaching staff maneuvering is Kevin Stefanski's job, and then you know we had seen Mary Kay Cabot kind of reiterate that in, uh, in her in one of her write ups following that time. So. I had thought that was coach speak. I had thought it was just him Me being, too, yeah. hey, I'm falling in line as a soldier. But I thought that there would be some guys that would come with him. I still expect that. Do you expect that as well?
2: I do. I, I actually – listen, Jake. I thought when he said that in the press conference, it was just kind of a tip of the cap to the head coach falling in line, right? Uh, the right thing to say in the press conference. And then – that he would have the majority of the say on who is made up of his defensive staff. And and he mentioned input, right? Like, so I'll have the input on, so if he wants somebody, I'm sure they would bring him aboard if that person is available. I don't know if there is anybody worthy on this staff that they're like, Hey, we really think this guy's an up and comer and we want to keep him, He or she, uh, and but I was kind of under the impression, regardless of what had been written up to this point, Jake, that they would kind of clean house on that side of the ball. I don't really know why there's this – like, why I don't understand why there would be a, such a, a layover or a hangover of people on a staff that you already cut the head off the staff. It makes sense to bring in guys that work and already know the language and things like that that Schwartz is going to be using
1: yeah to me it's your point is fair and one that I've thought too. I think some of it is contract stuff. Guys are under contract. you have to let if you want to give a guy his full staff, you have to let those people out of contracts. So that means you would have to pay for an example, sure. two defensive line coaches and that's never ideal. Not that Jimmy has a problem clearly cutting checks, but I do think that that's an element of some of what they like to do. And again some of these other guys, there's also reputations tied to all of this. You you know, there's a chance Kevin really, really likes some of them and he doesn't want to see them all just fired off and just give it. And not that he's not trying to do the best thing for the team, but there's also a delicate balance of like giving guys a chance to go get other jobs yeah. uh, as, a, as a part of all of this, too. So. You know, like there's just – I think there's a lot – let me put it this way. There's a lot more at play here than we understand. There's relationship stuff. There's helping guys out. You want those guys to land on their feet. You know, like I said when we were talking about it in season, Brad, like Jeff Howard is on the on the up and up. Like he was the defensive coordinator at the Shrine game, I believe. Like this guy is, is – the next logical step you do in the NFL is you're a coordinator of the run or pass game, and then you get a chance. If your team's really good, uh, you know, you get a chance to do one of those – coordinator job. You get, you're like next up. That's like the tier of this whole thing. Same with the offensive side. Like yeah. Chad O'Shea is the pass game coordinator. That's the label. It was like a label. I'm not sure what year that was created and yeah. when that came out. Cause it wasn't a normal thing like 15 years ago. I no, would imagine. Me neither. But I think it's a way they've, I think it's a way that they have given like a built-in way of climbing the ladder and getting your, your, uh, your opportunity more clearly defined. Let me put it that way. And I think it used to be more like assistant head coach tag. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're moving this around to say, here's what this guy does in a more definitive sort of way, and he's you know he's more of the pass game specialist, blah blah blah, and then and then it gives you you know it gives those guys a chance to to work up the escalator from there. But um, I do, to your point, expect a lot of them to be gone, largely because to me it's just not a very skilled staff. Like they no. don't have a bunch of guys outside of Ben Bloom. I've been pretty vocal on this pod now, and you're probably tired of hearing me say this if you're a listener. Like Ben Bloom's the only one is, and again he's the run game coordinator this year, which makes his next opportunity as as the anchor of a run defense that was historically bad probably pretty challenging. Yeah, nothing against him. I'm not saying he was out here working with a bunch of uh, fine utensils here when he's trying <laughs> to carve this whole thing into place, but it's just a tricky thing. But there's just a bunch of guys who have kind of come from the college ranks and have worked their way through various college locations and opportunities and like have found themselves in an NFL that's how it kind of works you get in as a quality control guy you then start as the assistant defensive backs coach or something like that and you get a chance so um I don't know there could be some stragglers that stay on if 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 they get a high recommendation from from you know Joe Woods and and perhaps they impress Schwartz in in an interview with him because it's just going to be another open interview scenario, right, for some of these guys with the Browns. So maybe they stick around. I I mean, again, to me, the two guys with the most experience from an NFL perspective would be Tarver, the linebackers coach, who could make – you know I think you could make a pretty good argument that he could stay because linebackers play pretty well given Mm -hmm. all the chaos that's gone on around that position. And he's been a coordinator at various levels, the Raiders, the – cardinal stanford cardinal uh in, in in the college level he's been around he's done it uh probably brings a wide range of experience and um again this just it's just how they feel about him internally we don't we don't really know but but i think that tarver and ben bloom are the only ones that um ultimately have a resume kind of that they could lean into that sort of thing otherwise uh it's 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 an open guess man it's an open guess so yeah i'm not sure bud yeah I'm i sure.
2: I think that uh, you're right about Tarver and Bloom. You know, as p- maybe potential holdovers, uh, it's just I it feels like to me, and you're right, it, it, it goes further than just you know. But it, I never, I don't know, maybe I haven't played paid close enough attention. I guess I thought it was more of an outlier for a guy to make it through this kind of a change than it is to, you know what I mean? Commonplace mm-hmm. for somebody to hang around. Uh, on a unit it's weird because you're not changing regimes or anything you're just changing like half yeah, that's of a the regime thing. right so yep. um but the way that this team is kind of separated offensive and defensive it feels like two separate units and very much two separate like um kind of regimes almost uh the way that they're handling it too with schwartz coming in and in in order to streamline things, I think it would behoove them to bring in some people that already speak his language and stuff. So Yeah, for sure. Well that that's
1: something you're you're pointing out there is uh, you know it's 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 unique because they're not turning over the entire group. Great. Right. It's yeah. just a half so I, I think this is one of the few times that we have seen You know, most of the time Brown's coaches go with their coordinators, head coaches go. It is not often we see a head coach retain his job and hire a new coordinator on a side of the ball. They're not in, but we know the Todd Haley hire. We know how Mm -hmm. disastrous that was, but Hugh kept his staff on offense, right? But just hired a coordinator that I feel like we all feel like he was forced to hire. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but anyway, like to me, this is unique from a Browns perspective. So we don't necessarily have like, Oh, well back in 2013, they did it and did it this way. Most of the head coaches have gone and that goes with it. So this will be a learning experience on how they handle it from every angle. So we'll be paying close attention to it. And again, if you're wondering like, well, who the hell would Schwartz hire? We have put out an article and really the guys that we are focusing on here are guys that he's connected to that are open to being moved. Like, the first example is Corey, I think it's pronounced Undlin, U N D L I N. Who's currently the, again, we're talking about a pass game coordinator and DB's coach with San Francisco. Now that that's a name that's going to be a hot name. Mm-hmm. My thought is that the way San Francisco just brings up next man up from grooming coaches as D'Amico Ryan should get a head coaching job somewhere. It just comes down to whether there's an organization position to be uh, patient enough to, to wait on him. Cause they're going to, you know, they could be in the super, Bowl, could be three weeks here. Um, but then that feels like Unlin who would, would would naturally slide into that role as the uh as the DC in, in San Francisco. And again, like he was connected to Schwartz for three years. He was a um he was a D coordinator in Detroit. He's been he was with uh Schwartz from 2016 to 2019, running defensive backs for him. He's the like biggest, I guess, air quotes, hot shot of that, of that staff that Schwartz had. Matt Burks, another guy, a Dartmouth Ivy League connection type. He was with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, this past year, which means he is currently uh, unsure of his future. He was with Schwartz in 2019 as a defensive specialist and then was the run game coordinator in 2020 and D-line coach. So that is a guy to specifically pay attention. I posted a one-on-one interview Burke did with the Eagles in-house X and O people talking about Javon Hargrave, who, again, another guy we would like to be uh, part of potentially – bringing into cleveland brad um Mm -hmm. but other guys that are worth looking at marcus robertson um was again with the cardinals uh was connected to schwartz as his defensive uh, backs coach way back in detroit when he was with detroit from 12 to 13 that's when schwartz was a head coach he went to the raiders broncos and now he's with the cardinals um is a db's coach there so pay attention to robertson again a former db himself in the 90s Dino Vasso is currently uh, with the Texans as the cornerbacks coach there, was with Schwartz as a quality control and assistant secondary coach from 16 to 19, and then became the assistant coordinator, kind of like an assistant head coach, right? Um, in 2020. So there's a deep connection there. And again, he was with the Texans. They let go of Lovey Smith. He's an open potential hiring candidate. There are some other guys like Ken Flajola, who is with Kansas City currently as an outside linebackers coach. Don't know if he would be leaving uh leaving that location tim hawk is another guy who was with schwartz for a while as a safeties coach but currently is um i think he's currently somewhere i'm not sure exactly where he is right now but he used to be with the browns a long time ago mark Juan Manuel took over for dan quinn as the coordinator of the falcons he currently is with the jets so it's hard if he's not getting a secondary yeah. job he's the safeties coach with the Jets. that one's tough but nate ollie's another one nate ollie was um uh, 2019 and 2020 with the assistant defensive line coach. And he was with the Colts last year. And obviously Jeff Saturday is, is, uh, you know, I don't know who, who the hell knows what they're going to do, but if, I guess if Saturday comes back, Ollie could end up staying there, but that's about it. I mean, I listed everybody who's a connection. So that article's still out there at the OBR, but I, I would imagine three or four of those guys come Brad. I just, I just think that his, I know he talked about when he got to Philly, he didn't know anybody, um, when he went on that staff, but yeah, like, that was interesting.
2: I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, here's what I would say about this, about those names, and and I think that um, I actually think a, a few of these guys are really good candidates that that you named because of you know, and I'll reference back to Mary Kay Cabot's article um, a little bit here, but she goes into some depth about I don't know if it was this actually it wasn't her article, but maybe it was a Terry Pluto article uh, earlier uh, this week. But it was, um, you know, referencing the connection uh, that Schwartz and Barry made in Philadelphia. So, and how much that had to do with this hire um, that they actually got to, you know. And Schwartz talked about it in the presser, right? You know, this is a guy that I want to work with some, you know, someday, and all that stuff. But like that, that connection was there, um, and that probably kind of maybe swayed this a little bit is their existing relationship um and i think that because of that all these philly guys that you have listed in this article from that same time frame that are now available due to uh you know regime firings make a lot of sense
1: yeah yeah i'm with you there's the guys that are floating out looking for their next landing spot because they don't know if their potential to be hired or not is uh is is still gonna be in place when the next guy gets there. That's the last thing you want is hey, I had this opportunity to go with the Browns and Schwartz, who I know, yeah, but I waited on the next guy because of whatever, whatever, and now I'm out of a job. Like that's the worst case scenario. So um, all right, looking forward here, one other thing that came out today that was was pretty interesting was this summer sports, it who's it's it's summer with one M. So mm. keep that in mind. They they do great data work. I don't know if you're afraid of it, but this actually came out on the twentieth. But I thought it was interesting that they're looking at top head coaches and win probability added over expected. So it's WPAOE. Now, how they quantify this is not something I'm going to pretend to know here. Um, They usually will take the Ben Baldwin uh, analytic look at the fourth down decisions of how much win probability it adds. Some of those different things. But it's measured out in a bunch of different ways. Did the coach... Give fourth down win probability added, two point conversion decision win probability added, first half timeouts, second half timeouts, and delay of game. Kevin Stefanski checks in ninth, um, which is you know right in front of Andy Reid, in front of Doug Peterson. The top of the list is Nick Siriani, who's done just fantastic work uh, up in Philly in in pretty much every regard. Not just not just uh, some of these things he's done well, but you get Sean McDermott's below that, Dan Campbell, Brandon Staley, Matt Eberfluss. Eberflu? Am I saying it? Eberflus? Eberflus. I think it's Eberflus. Eberflus. Jeez. Welcome, Jake. To I, I think Eberflus. I'm
2: pretty sure it's Eberflus. I, I'm okay. I, that's how I've been it's saying tough. it for years. So John Harbaugh,
1: Cliff Kingsbury are out in front of him. So these are just not that these are this isn't everything, but it is what do the Browns coaches do well? The thing that's interesting to me is the timeout stuff. And I've thought all year that the Browns have not handled timeouts well. Like I hate how they use some of them. Those are the two areas that they did not do well in two point decisions and fourth down decisions were some of their best work. Delay of game stuff was good. I didn't think the Browns had much of a problem with delay of game stuff this year. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not surprised by this rating um, mm-hmm. in any way, shape or form. I think Kevin is very forward on this stuff. The fourth down metric um, like Matt LaFleur is really good at that. And this list, Kevin would be like fifth on this list for fourth down decisions. So as much as you think Kevin's hyper aggressive and, all of that, like there, there are, certain, there are coaches out there even more hyper aggressive on fourth downs in a way um, that Kevin is too. So I, I think it's good. I think you want your head coach to be higher on this list than, than lower in my opinion. Obviously, this this doesn't decide everything. It doesn't decide you know winning games. It doesn't decide the play calling. It doesn't decide. any it's just how, from a numbers perspective, adding win probability based on that decision. Um, um and, and these are again mostly just decisions surrounding certain parts of the game, not necessarily tactical or performance-based decisions. How are they? How are they looking for your team, sort of thing? And and Kevin comes in ninth, so it's just noteworthy. Are you surprised by a ninth, or or did you think he'd be higher or lower based on this year?
2: No, that's about right. I think you know I figure him to be top ten in this category just about every year, just because of where the Browns are at with this stuff. Uh, a little bit ahead of the curve on all of that, and. Uh, some of this is as is, is execution, too. Like, you know, when you look at the first half timeouts and second half timeouts, like you can have the planned, it, it planned out perfectly every time and just, Freeze and fail to, fail to execute. Like, for example, Mike McCarthy's on there. I just watched him, you know, butcher time management two weeks ago uh, in the second half, right? Like, and, and his second half timeout score is excellent on here, right? So, like, mm-hmm. you know, it, sometimes it's about execution on some of this stuff. Uh, it's also interesting that the fourth down stuff, that, you know, the fourth down uh, WPOEA, <laughs> um, when probably added over expected you know of course mike lafleur is like the highest number right or matt lafleur pardon me in in uh with the packers looks like the highest number that i can find um on the fourth down added so i think that's interesting and and that the names make sense that are up there right like staley stefanski lafleur you know the shanahan these guys are the guys that uh are always kind of being second guess for it but also being known for being at the forefront of it right of pushing the envelope there so i think it makes a lot of sense this is really i mean i i could probably look at this chart here for a long time and find some other little things that are interesting on it but those are the things that jump out to me is you know lafleur's time management not so great but it's fourth down is uh, excellent there if you look at that. That's pretty. Uh, look at the negatives on his first half and second half timeouts, and then as compared to his fourth down. Uh, well, some of these guys added.
1: that are like like um, longtime head coaches, the fourth down stuff where they get second guessed is is interesting to me, and it and it kind of holds up. Like Shanahan is 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 really harshly judged on his in game decision making, yes. and he really only gets a total added of of. Uh, 7.3 percent based on those those numbers-based decisions and um same for Andy Reid who's who's negative 3.1 percent on fourth down decisions he gets kind of crucified on on some of those um, yes. some of those decisions so um those listen those are just noteworthy pieces of information there are 15 coaches that are 16 coaches apologize that are not even shown on here so like where does Zach Taylor rank it's it's yeah. not like you're just going to win because your coach is higher on this list you have to obviously go out and play really well on top of all that stuff. But like you're wondering why are the Eagles 14 game winners this year? I mean, look at, look at their head coach at the top of this ranking on top of the roster that they put together and it all sort of uh, it all sort of adds up. So um, yeah. listen, we're going to take one uh, break on this thing and then, um, you know, hear from sponsors and come back and we're going to talk about how the wide Listen, it's, it's an interesting position group. Like, I, I mean, the, the, the thing is we think they were better. But how much better do they need to be is, is what we have to pay attention to in the, in the future of this thing. So we're going to take our one break, come back, and break those guys down. We'll be right back.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data.
1: Okay, so this, this group, like I said before the break, they they listen, let me put it this way. We, when we do these three things, we analyze, how did they perform against expected? Did, did the group perform well? And when you look back at last year, I don't think it I mean it was pretty bad. It was really bad. The group was led last year by Donovan People's Jones, 597 yards. Next guy up, 570 from Jarvis Landry. Then the next wide receiver, 275 from Rashard Higgins. And then you don't see – you see a 232 from Odell. It was it was bleak. And, like – so, listen, the expectations were pretty low, Brad. I was talking about running backs most recently when I was reviewing them, and the expectations are high. They still found a way to exceed them collectively, but the expectations are high. This year, wide receivers, I think we started to tip up our expectations, but I still didn't – I think that I, – I feel pretty confident looking back, Brad, I think that we w- were pretty worried that this was still going to be a group that wasn't good enough to help move the football. Do you do you remember that, or were you a little higher on them? Because I just remember those preseason pods being like, "I'm still really worried about receiver if there's enough here to, to be decent."
2: No, I was very worried. Uh, I was banging the table that they were not deep enough and and incredibly unproven. Now, you know, the thing there was like, okay, Amari Cooper seems like a proven commodity, but we don't know how he's going to work in this offense. But okay, I'll give him that, and then. You know, this is what I was saying before the season, right? You know, Donovan Peoples-Jones I like a lot, but can he do it with more volume, right? Like his efficiency numbers were great, but can he do it with more volume um, and step into that role? And, and, And then, you know, what do you have after that? Nothing, really. You know, David Bell, maybe. What does he turn into? What does Anthony Schwartz become? So that was kind of like my, you know, my question here uh and David Njoku right or, or you know how much can he provide from a tight end position but like um they were blessed Jake with incredibly healthy wide receiver room and they never really had to get that deep into their depth which is why I think it worked out better than I thought it would because generally most teams at least for a couple games of the year, going to find themselves in their in their depth in, at the wide receiver position, and the Browns just really didn't this year, and so they were able to kind of skate by with those guys as their headliners every week.
1: Yeah, and and two when you when you look at the group health wise, you're making a good point there. I mean, we talked about it with running backs too; like they stayed incredibly healthy this year. The yeah. year before, they had you know, injuries across the board. Kareem missed a ton of time. Nick missed some time. Like, as as much as we're going to be optimistic as the new season rolls around, is, is obviously everybody's always relatively optimistic about their team as the new season rolls around. You have to account that those two primary positions, they were very injury fortunate. Now, again, Amari Cooper dealt with that late season hip deal. Like, he yeah. wasn't fully himself. It's uh, still produced, but wasn't fully himself. But he's kind of notorious for missing two or three games in any given season, sometimes up to four or five, and he played all 17. So, you, again, you're looking at like what's what's uh what's above expectation, what's below. I certainly think they hit above, but granted that the health was above the expectation, that also sort of plays into it a little too. But from a numbers perspective, Amari Cooper 1160 uh total yards, 78 receptions, nine touchdowns. So, we would listen, let me backtrack real quick. We would say that the group performed over expectation would you feel right about that
2: yes yeah absolutely I was very concerned about this room as a whole and I I didn't think it was a problem at all this year like I don't think that wide receiver at least let's say it could have been better but like I'm just saying it overperformed what I thought they were going to be for sure as a collective I would agree yeah
1: okay so individually Amari Cooper I think it's safe to say you and i would agree was over expectation. He put up near career numbers in a lot of different categories here. So, um going through uh, I like to kind of try to pin down grades and all of that stuff as we go through a player's uh profile here. So, I'll try I'll try to pull that up as we do it simultaneously. The 1160 is at um the top of his uh single season mark. He had obviously runs with Oakland and um, Dallas. His uh, 1160 is Second, sorry, it's actually. I mean, he's relatively on par. It's it's funny. He's had four years of eleven sixty, eleven sixty four, eleven seventy six, and eleven eighty nine. That's actually incredible. Wow, five seasons in the eleven hundred range in his career. So the eleven sixties right at the is right similar to what he normally does. He hit his fourteen point nine is the second best, tied for second best yards per catch number of his career. His nine touchdowns ties a career high with his twenty twenty one Dallas performance. Seventy eight catches. Uh, not near the top, but but again, that's uh, yards for reception, and the volume uh, wasn't crazy. I was hoping before the year they would pepper him with a ton of targets. They did. The 126 targets is the third most he's had in his career from a grades perspective, receiving grade. It's his second-best receiving grade. And I think this offense fits him really well, a double-move double type of guy who's comfortable, who likes to have those longer play action, longer quarterback drops to create – some of the downfield opportunities for himself. I thought he did um, just a fantastic job in this whole thing. His six drops were about where he's been. His first two years, uh, two of his first three, he had double-digit drops. I remember his rookie year, people freaking out about drops. He had 18 in that 2015 rookie season, but he's leveled off and he's been down below 10 um, for for the remainder, except for that, that second, sorry, that third year, he's been down below 10. So, listen, I think Cooper... I just think he's really good. He had the most contested catches thrown his way. His 15 contested catches are the most he's had in a single season, so they gave him opportunities to go fight for the football. Not a crazy yards-after-catch guy. Again, relatively low. He only had 296 this year. That's his third lowest, so he's still not going to do that. But what he does is separate, and they need a separator, and I thought he was really good. So I firmly think that he's above an expectation. Even though we knew he had to be a number one, and this is probably like classic Amari meeting expectation based on his career. I think he was above what I thought they were going to get from him because I was nervous about the fit in the offense and his role in it and like playing with Jacoby Brissett. How would that feel? A lot of different elements rolled into that whole thing because he played with Derek Carr and he played with Dak Prescott, who are obviously significantly better quarterbacks uh, on paper at least. Um, and at the points that he played with him So I was nervous about that But I think it all came together nicely for him And for the what they gave up A really good player to get And, and perform pretty well Would you agree?
2: Yeah, I just think that uh, When you acquire someone via trade like that Or even free agency There is a, uh, a Some concern Whether how quickly it'll work, right? How quickly it may it fits. like how often do we see guys In free agency get signed And they just don't uh, perform It's actually not that uncommon for guys to fall short of what they you know tend to do so him living up to his career averages and i thought you know in this offense when given opportunities to you know isolate and separate and uh when stuff is schemed to him he didn't miss usually like he usually made those plays worth it and um uh, i thought he actually fits really well into what they wanted to do so uh, a great trade that uh worked out better than even i thought expected so yeah and 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 on top of that you know on top of the numbers statistics he put up you know the 20 million looks really good now too compared to you know when he when you first got him right like so those numbers at 20 million is even better so sure
1: Yeah, and I think there could still be some restructuring that uh, potentially goes on uh, this offseason
2: to sort of create a way to
1: lower that a little bit if they can. But anyway, moving forward, um, so, all right. Donovan Peoples-Jones is next up. He's the only other significant contributor. And again, he has a really nice year. He did not close the year very well, but Mm -hmm. would put up a strong year. 839 yards, 61 catches, three touchdowns. Um, Those are just his baseline statistics from you know, a little bit deeper diving, looking at him, um, this is his best. Actually, this one ended up being his second best receiving grade. I mean, his rookie year, he didn't get a ton of volume. So keeping that uh, working trending higher is what you want to see, at least as the volume increases. So again, 839, he had um, in, in not a real deviation from alignment, 431 outside snaps. He, he was about 70% outside. He got m- a little more slot snaps this year than he did last year. 19.88, a 30% slot snap number this year. Uh, but again, not creating a ton of yards after catch. And this is where we do our 23 outlook. That's where we're looking to figure out. How can they create more yards after catch? You only had a 3.2 yards after catch numbers. 12.9 dot average distance of target was lower than it's been. And that happens when you're running more routes and you're getting more opportunity. That number will, will usually dip a little bit lower. You only had three drops though this year, which is actually down one. So a 4.7 drop percentage, one of the best catch rates Um, across any metric stat you look at uh, in the league, and that's people who do unique wide receiver study. He was one of the best at it. Uh, Dipped a little here with the contested catch numbers. Only 11 of 29 this year when he was 16 of 23 last year, which is obviously really impressive. But um, the thing that stood out to me is the the late season stuff. He was on track to potentially hit the 1,000-yard number, but his last three games, he had that 114-yard game at Cincinnati. And then he went 31, only two against New Orleans. Well, obviously, I mean, it didn't throw it a ton in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, 13 in in Washington and then only 42 in the close to Pittsburgh. So he had a chance to get to 1,000, but, but didn't muster much at the end of the year. But I still like Donovan. I, I still believe that he can be a nice player here um, and is potentially a second contract guy. Uh, I would say, again, we were concerned about could this guy take a leap. I think he took a leap to – average nfl wide receiver which is an above expectation uh to me going from again 585 it's been a steady increase 335 597 839 um and the volume goes up double the amount of catches pretty much like i think he's now a steady average wide receiver if you can get a sixth round pick pick 187 in a draft to turn into a steady wide receiver who's got a really really solid set of hands and will catch. He's not a separator. He certainly is not a Mari Cooper separation guy, and he doesn't run well after the catch in terms of creating a bunch of yards in the open field. Now, actually, st- started to develop as you would, I would sure would agree, Brad, a, a nice punt returner. By the end of the year, had some really, really nice punt returns, and that's a potential future. But um, I just, I think he was an above expectation. If I'm labeling it, maybe he's an ad expectation guy for you, but I thought he was above. I just don't know that there's some huge next level for him to jump to but if he's your third most targeted receiver if you can get a dynamic slot i think there's something there to him being a big part of an offense that is a winning offense you know what i mean
2: yeah if you would have told me you know uh 61 for 850 uh, you know just raw numbers uh i would have taken it to start the year for sure right like that seems like ideal for him, right? Like you wanted him to be a wide receiver too That's what. Middle of the road wide receiver 2 numbers. Is yeah, that a, Yeah, middle right?
1: middle to just a fuzz below, like depends okay. on the volume, but yeah, he he was the production's fine and some people try to claim Brad that he's just a volume guy like if you gave Rashard Higgins these targets, he would get I don't think so. No. I think he does enough things at the catch point to be considered a, a really an integral and important uh part of this whole thing.
2: Here's the thing with, with what I think with him is you know, you mentioned the separation and, you know, like you said, his detractors will mention that separation, right? Like they will, that's what his, they will point to when they say Donovan Peoples-Jones isn't good enough or won't be good enough in the future. But I would say that he has progressively gotten better. He's, he clearly has an excellent work, work ethic to come from where they drafted him to now, right? And, um, not that I think, like, the ceiling is a ton higher, but I think there's still a little wiggle room there for him to get better, right? Um, and I think that he, you know, he's a he's similar to Cooper, but different, and he's very good at what he does. Like you said, like, the contested balls, the catch radius, right, like, going down. We talked about how many times he digs out those low throws from Brissett this year. Just impressive stuff, and I thought he has done his job very well, and I would love for him to be a part of this. Now, the the thing that makes it work, though, is what you said, right? And I'm sure we'll get into this more, is you got to have another guy to complement these two or else it doesn't work going forward. But for this year, he he exceeded expectations 100%. I'm
1: going to read you a stat line of a player, okay? Yep. Um, 104 targets, 74 receptions, 1,029 total yards receiving, 7 touchdowns. He had 109, so he was 80% wide, 19% in the slot. He had 3.8 yards uh, after catch per reception, 280 yards after catch, 11.6 average distance of target, caught 16 of 26 contested catches, six missed tackles forced. Does this player sound pretty similar to Donovan Peoples-Jones in a lot of ways? Very much so. Only four drops, a 5.1 drop percentage, so just a little higher than Donovan. That's T. Higgins. That's T Higgins was about to hit the market and make a ton of money in a couple of years. Like that's the thing. is like Donovan's not that far off from a T Higgins. If he just puts together a couple things here and there, it's not crazy, man. He's used the same way if they can just add a more dynamic third receiver in their 11 personnel, I think you have something. So Agreed. again, I think T now T has done it 3 years 908 in 2020 1091 in 2021 and 2022 we went for 1029 like donovan's got to show that but again you're talking about t higgins 64219 donovan people's jones what size is he 62204 not too far off here mm-hmm. i mean t. higgins is clearly bigger but donovan's numbers 3.2 yards i mean a 4.5 yards after catch last year 3.2 yards after catch this year 195 To 280 Like 12.9 a dots, So he's getting it deeper downfield Only three drops It's very similar It's very similar So um, Just something to keep in mind Now again You made a good point earlier They didn't really Didn't push themselves Outside of that I mean it's like David Bell was out there a ton He played in 16 (laughs) games He started three He had 24 catches for 214 I think a lot of people had I thought the expectations For David Bell Were way too high At the beginning of the season
2: Probably yeah.
1: And it, people were six, seven, eight hundred yards. I thought he could get to 450 was about the number. But I think I think what we were looking for was David Bell to show us something. Does he have a game where he has eight catches and 90 yards? Is he, mm-hmm. It just never really materialized. Like his, his single game high was 35 receiving yards. He had like a 35, a 27, 24, 22, 23, 27. He felt very much like a below average wide receiver. He had a receiving grade of 52.1. He caught 24 of 32 targets for 214. Didn't score a touchdown. Um, had two drops. His is uh, 72% in the slot, 27% out wide. Um, caught four of nine contested catches. 6.6 very short distance to target. Had 74 rack, uh, yak yards, so 3.1 was the number right below Donovan there. Seven first down catches. I just, I don't know what he is. I I still don't know what he is like.
2: Yeah, they. I, I don't
1: want to give yeah. up on him. I don't want to give up on him, but I also need more. And if that means he's sacrificed, I, I mean, it's tough, Brad. I wanted to have a feel for what he is, and maybe the coaches know more about what he is than we do because all we get to see is games, and obviously they get to see every practice and every interaction possible. But I, I think we would all agree we want this we, wide receiver group needs to be better, more dynamic, trade for Hopkins, trade for Lockett. Do these things. Well, you know, I don't, they're not giving up Cooper. They're not giving up Peoples-Jones. I guess they could give up Donovan, but, I, I mean, like, I just I just think that the improvement person you're looking at is David Bell, but it's like I just didn't feel like there was a one way or the other movement here in terms of what he is. Like, I just don't know what he is. I don't know.
2: I don't know what he is either. And, and the way they used him, listen, like, a lot of those yards, right, that he even got – and I'll even give him this credit that – he had some big catches late in games early in the season, like in the fourth quarter, like situational catches that moved the chains, I think, a couple times late in games. But uh, it was all, it's all so close to the line of scrimmage. Um, and a lot of it is just really sitting down in open space in a zone, right? And, and, like, so we never really got to see a lot, like you said, a lot of what really he can do because it was all really, like, like, he will do the basic wide receiver stuff, right? That's that's who he is um, at, at at the very core, right? What can he be yeah. beyond that? We don't know. We didn't learn any of that, really, because that's all he, all he was really asked to do, right? Like, I don't know. Um, that's what it I, feels like, I think like, this right? is the thing. He didn't have any
1: big plays. Nothing no. stands out as far as these huge plays. And he also didn't have any really crippling plays. Like, there mm. is no – I've never really – I can't feel like – I've, I've thought about a Browns prospect player, young player, who, like, I think the thing, think about recent, but like Corey Coleman or Anthony Schwartz or these guys, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I kind of know who they are, man. Like, they've showed me these things they can't do, and I know what they are. Like, I just, with David Bell, I don't know. He made no plays on one way. He was like, you could have taken, like, the nameplate off of him, and he's just NFL receiver. It was yeah. sort of the weirdest thing. Yeah. Like, I couldn't even tell you what he looks like. Like, I, I mean, and I cover the Browns. You and I do it. Like, I just... It, it's very strange. It's very strange how anonymous he was put it that way, like very anonymous player that wasn't bad, but what the hell did he do well either? So there's right. just like a ton of mystery in terms of like, what is he going to be? Is it too soon to just, Hey, we're going to, he's not even going to really have a role next year. I don't know. I think you, you do put him at a below expectation because yes. I think a lot of us had relatively high hopes that he could come in and be an impactful Not not going crazy here, but a relatively decent cog in an eleven personnel machine, and that didn't seem to come to fruition. But it's not not a write him off sort of thing. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, like the whole you mentioned, you know, the whole thing um, that he didn't stand out, and that it's definitely an underperformed. I I would say because I thought what I saw from him, you know in the limited amount of exposure i had to him at purdue right is that he was a nuanced guy right like he'll he's not gonna separate he's not a burner he does he's not twitchy he doesn't do anything really special athletically but he's a more nuanced wide receiver that would be able to find the little niches in that you know some slot wide receivers can find in the nfl right um and find themselves a nice nice you know carve them out themselves out a nice little you know 450 yards like you said but he couldn't really do that
1: yeah jury's out man but below what we wanted to see as a rookie i wanted to be moved sort of one direction or the other and i feel like it was just sort of very yeah very static very static and i don't really know and again this could come down to usage it could come down to what they plan to change with the offense he fits in a little bit better there's there's a lot to sort of see there, we'll, we'll figure it out. Anthony Schwartz checks in next. He mm-hmm. is, um you know, the sample size is extremely small uh, for the year. Schwartz had um, just how many targets? He only had ten targets, four catches, fifty-one yards. He had that reverse mm-hmm. that he he scored a tis lone touchdown of the season on for thirty-one yards. He's okay. Depends on what your expectations were. Collectively for his career, he's below expectations. He was the you know the ninety second pick. He was, he was a third round guy, you know, know, Amon Roth St. Brown was picked a couple wide receivers later than him. The the career has been way below what we expected. And again, that's not, I mean, there's low expectations for third round picks in general, but to be this, like he doesn't even look like he belongs on an NFL field at times. And we've seen the drops. He had the fumble um, in that, in that Texans game where he was coming off the, buccaneers game and he's kind of feeling positive after he was able to contribute a nice catch up the left sideline and also that reverse for a touchdown then he catches watson's first throw and fumbles it and he never really was heard from the rest of the year and it's like i mean schwartz was at expectation for me because i didn't expect anything out of him i mean you could see it in the preseason like he's just broken he was broken there's there's just you know there were articles written about how he how he handled the baker mayfield blame and all that and i i mean i just think there's a mental issue with him and i think there's clearly less physical skill here than any of us thought the the the, the ability to uh to to run in space has not translated to be as fast as we all hoped for uh it's just not there and, and again as you're looking at 23 like I don't think he's on the roster. I just don't see a roster spot for him. So, I mean, you're you're willing to take the floor and tell me I'm wrong. feel more than happy to do so if you want to give him more time, but I just don't really see it.
2: No, I, I am, uh, you know, done with the Schwartz experiment uh, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know that the Browns are. I mean, I'm sure the he probably does not make the roster next year. But, like, to your point, though, at the end of preseason – we were like, kind of like, um, is he going to be, you know, it felt like they were trying to cut. Well, also, yes, it it felt like he could get cut after like preseason game three and four, but before that it felt like they were trying to jam him into wide receiver, like four or three on the depth chart. And remember they were giving him all those targets and just kept peppering him with targets with Watson out there. And it was like, man, they're really trying to jam in this role, right? Or, you know, get him into it. And then at some point, they was just like, okay, now you got to move him way down your depth chart and just get him away from the field, right? And uh, I remember us having that conversation, like, right before week one, like, okay, just get him down the depth chart and, and proceed without him. And, uh, and it felt like maybe they were going to try to win. Watson came back. Because he, I guess, it did probably spend some time rapping with Watson a lot, maybe off to the side or whatever. It felt like they were going to bring him back with Watson a little bit. Like, here, let's see if Schwartz can catch on with Watson. And maybe that's a connection, right? But that didn't work either. Uh, so uh, I'm done. And yeah. I would say it was, I guess, you could say it was, a, I, I think, I would say underperformed. Yeah, I I, I think
1: it's fair to say underperformed. It all just is like, what was your expectation of him in general? Yeah. And I just was like, eh, I didn't have any. I thought he was bad, and he's proven to be pretty bad. So um, he's also not some, like, again, if you're going to be a a, a wide receiver who doesn't play or do any impacting there, he's not a return guy, which is sort of amazing to be as fast as he is and have no ability to return the football to improve that phase of the game at all. So there's that element of it, and you know he's kind of disappointing you a little bit um, there. So he did get on the field more for special teams late in the year. He was on the uh, punt return team as a gunner um, out there, but he had 12 special snaps in a, weeks 11, 12, and 13. Wasn't on the field for special snaps later in the year. So like, I don't know, man. I don't really see the path. I just, I, just, I mean, he had a nice, he had a couple nice run, runs downfield as a punt return gunner, but. I'm not eating up a wide receiver spot for that. So he is, as we look at 23 outlook, and I think you and I would agree that Cooper and DPJ are certainly going to be here. David Bell will certainly be here. Um, I don't really see how Schwartz is here. And maybe that's a guy they replace in the draft or they go out and make some trade. Uh, I'm not totally sure, but, but to me, it's like, (laughs) I just don't see a role for him. So I think he's on the outside looking in the next guy up is Mike Woods, so mm-hmm. Woods didn't he he battled some injury stuff uh which is which was which was a problem because we we felt like we saw something in speci- in the um preseason right that that would that would translate relatively early and he got he got a lot of opportunity sort of later in the year uh when you look at his receiving stuff he he's I'm intrigued there were mm-hmm. moments from him that I really liked now he only had 5 catches on 10 targets for 45 yards but to me there were some moments that I, I did really like some plays that he made in space. One got called back um in, in a game. I, I'm not sure if that was week fifteen Baltimore. I can't remember, but I think there's I'm intrigued by Mike Michael Woods. I certainly want him on the roster again. I think there's something there. But um, you know, again, it's it's a small sample size and all of that and he's he's only ten NFL targets and he didn't play much in that preseason, so not a lot to go on, but I feel like those are the four wide receivers that are going to be here. Woods uh, included um, in that grouping for me, at least he's the only other one we're really going to talk about. Um, Cause he's the only one that got meaningful targets. Like, we don't think we need to spend much time on Dale and Baldwin um, or anything like that. But um, no. yeah, I mean, how do you feel about Woods going into next year?
2: Listen, I, I liked Woods. Uh, we, we talked about this. We both liked him uh, just, from the very little that we glimpsed of him, right? Mm. Like he kind of just is intriguing, right? Uh he liked I like the way he moves. It looks like he has some shake, right? Um and uh those things uh are intriguing, right? So um I don't know if he can be more, but you at least bring him back to camp and see if find out what he is, right? Um and see what yeah see, see what else you can glean from him.
1: Yeah, he's my fourth guy. Um you know, you, like I said, we're not going to spend. I mean, if you're looking at other wide receivers who got uh targets of any variety, I again think you're only looking at uh, Dalen Baldwin had Baldwin, yeah. One game who had, he had two targets for 25 yards. That's that's really it. Demetric Felton, mm. I talked with him about the running back group. I just I don't know, man. Another guy who never has found a role here that matters for the year Felton had one rushing attempt for negative four and two catches for eight yards. He like Schwartz to me is on the outside looking in yeah. from an experiment perspective. But um, I guess the question becomes what moves do you anticipate? Do you think they're like, you know, the, the draft is 42 is going to have some options going to have like the, the Jalen Hyatt's uh, I have had a draft that I've done these mocks every day where um, Josh downs from UNC was a, a really fun slot wide receivers fallen to me. I'm going to post one, tomorrow that is is an example of what it would take to move up and go get somebody like jackson smith and Jigba, at pick 21 um i don't know this is a weird weird draft i don't i don't know about wide receiver value like the last two wide receiver drafts have been insane yes and this this one to me doesn't have top end big time names like jordan addison who i think is fun and quentin johnson the kid from tcu again fun but they're not like i i you know they're not the, the ohio state kids they're not the alabama boys that that have been dominating things and been easy top 10 top 15 picks uh of late so i mean i just it's a weird group and i don't like people were i was arguing with somebody today about go up and get like i just don't know if this is the time i want to be going up and getting a receiver i wanted to show like here's what it'll take to go up and get that receiver but i don't feel comfortable with now if someone falls to you at, at at uh at, at 42 or at 99, it's just their next pick is interesting because, like, this kid Trey Palmer is an interesting player at that spot. Parker Washington from Penn State, another interesting player at that spot. But again, I, I don't think that you're, you know, people want these guys to be a more dynamic group. Like, the only way they're a more dynamic group is if they go out and get, uh, you know, Hopkins, if they go out and get uh, who else is on the market, like a Tyler Lockett, maybe. um, Brandon the, Cooks. The trade route yeah, Brandon Cooks is the other connection. The trade route is the only one that feels like it's going to significantly upgrade. And the question is, Brad, do you forecast them cuz the wide receiver free agent market is it's bleak. Like it's there's only crap, really two yeah. names that really interest me. That's and you're talking you're going to say like, "Huh? Is 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 Paris Campbell?" Yep. Um and and like Trent Sherfield who's in Miami. Yeah, Uh, there's there's not much. There's really very little. Now, there could be a surprise cut every year. It seems like a wide receiver you didn't expect to get on the trade market wants to be traded. A lot of things to happen between now and then. But the question is, do you think they're willing to go do something similar to the Cooper angle and go find somebody? Because that's the only way they get significantly better at this position.
2: Uh, I kind of think they have to almost. They're almost. (laughs) listen i think it's so critical jake that they find somebody a third piece to make this a a a three you know headed monster sort of at your wide receiver group right like and i don't care if that piece pushes dpj down to the three or what vice versa right like either way is fine but you need a speed element you need a different kind of guy i think than what you have and uh maybe you disagree with that because you mentioned Hopkins and I don't know listen Hopkins is just so good maybe it doesn't matter the speed thing right like he's just so amazing that uh he just makes you better obviously because he's a complete stud but preferably you would like to add somebody that can run um just to change the way that teams cover you a little bit because it's not like with Peoples-Jones and Cooper on the field and, and, and David Bell, you, you're not scaring anybody deep, right? So, I, at least in my opinion. Uh, so I don't know how you do that because the drafting for the last couple years uh, hasn't really worked out, minus DPJ, who was a late-round flyer kind of, right? Um, and, um, you know, Bell, Schwartz... Not you know, not looking great. I don't know that you can go draft somebody and be like, okay, yeah, that's the guy that's going to make them complete their their three. I think it needs to be a more of a proven commodity than that. So I think you do have yeah. to explore every trade possibility out there. Yeah, to to like
1: you look around at the conference championship games and you, and you certainly say, okay, well, the Bengals have three pretty good receivers. Tyler Boyd, not great, but pretty good. The top two are extremely good. And then you go, okay, who else? Well, you know, the Chiefs are a bit of an outlier, but the Chiefs have all-world, all-generation tight end. So that Mm -hmm. changes things, right? So they're the outlier, but again, Tyreek Hill was a huge part of what they did for a long time. But, you know, you can consider Travis Kelsey the best tight end to ever play, like he's a wide receiver. So Mm -hmm. it's a pass-catching element, right? And then you look around, okay, well, 49ers have Brandon Ayuk, who's phenomenal, who who again could be a potential – trade guy because he's looking out um, looking to get out and make more money and he's worth it because he's a stud um, but he's from that he's fantastic Debo's fantastic so that's there and all on top of Kittle obviously um, and then you add in the element of AJ Brown and Devontae Smith are one of the best one-two punch groupings in the league so like the teams that are mattering are the teams that have really good pass catchers and you know do you do you have that and you have in who we're not mentioning here because he's with the tight ends and we all think David is gotten better and he's he really took some great strides he was a top eight reception yards tight end this year like he was really good he, in in he dealt with some injuries and we'll talk more about him later but they I think it's fair to say that if they're in a two-year all-in window that I think they're going to be they're going to still be all in um, because they have Watson and they they have to be uh, after these two years but you look at the offensive line is set here for two years before they have to reshape a lot of stuff it does involve adding pass catchers that matter and how do they do that if you're you know because you can't just sit here and say well we'll draft one at 42 or 99 it'll work out
0: yeah it just doesn't work
1: it doesn't work that way it doesn't work that way and like they passed last year on Mechie and Pickens and those guys are are better prospects than I think are going to be floating there at 42 this year so um it's it's tough it's it's not a clear easy path you know Cooks Hopkins um these guys they want money you know they're veterans at the tail end of their career they they want money and the I don't I don't know how the Browns maneuver all of that or work all that stuff out but like Hopkins wants a new deal if he goes somewhere I'm betting and Lockett's gonna want some some coin and you know same for Cooks who already has a lot of money tied to him and maybe he doesn't demand a new deal but he's got a big cap it so how are you working around that how many void years can you keep doing without you know eventually the credit card bill is going to come due for all this money you've 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 put out here so um i think i'm with you i'm i'm certainly with you and they have to create more talent in the pass catching department to matter the same way the rest of these teams matter right you know even the bills who were just knocked out clearly pass catching talent all over the board right like the giants are a bit of an outlier and i think the jags were a bit of an outlier in terms of just putting in like some interesting groups in place Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but but like Christian Kirk had a great year, and Evan Ingram, their tight end, came on and got a lot out of those guys. But they're examples of like the Jags didn't feel like they had enough firepower, right? You know, and I'm sure they're targeting wide receivers they would like to have. The uh, the the again, the Giants didn't feel like you know they had Hodgins and Slayton, but that's not enough. They feel like they need more firepower in the pass catching department. So I, I yeah. think everybody's angling to how do we improve these people that matter as pass catchers, right man. That's what's sort of sort of crazy here. Everybody's chasing a little bit of the same thing and how do the Browns figure out how to separate themselves there is going to be a peculiar item
2: this offseason. It's wild what Jacksonville did. Um I don't think I've ever seen Jake um a team acquire three guys like that in free agency and have them all work out in their offense in one year. So I mean, Jacksonville Jones, did the Christian Cincinnati, Kirk, they, they, they retooled, Ingram, right? yeah, they all three re-tooled on the fly, agents, right, yeah, and uh, they- all three worked out for monster numbers in big years, and you just don't see that happen very often, but kudos to them for making that work, um, you know, the Browns need a guy like that, right, like a Kirk or, or Jones or something like that, like, how how do they get somebody like that?
1: Um, yeah, like DJ Chark will be out there possibly this off season. But again, it's like, how much does that change thing? The, the, the decision there is going to be one of the most fascinating ones, the entire off season of how they, they have to add another pass catcher who matters and how do they do that? What do they give up a corner? Cause they have uh, an abundance of corners. Like they were going to have to give to get here. I don't think you're going to find that answer at 42 or 99. You can add a wide receiver there but i just don't think you can go into the year and be like yeah well you know we got this uh this this jalen high we solution. think it's going to start you know yeah, yeah you yeah. just don't can't know yeah can the solution so yeah um yeah that that's that, wide receiver uh, anything final to add to that group before we uh shut the sucker down
2: no, real quickly. I just wanted to say I do agree with Paris Campbell. Like I've liked him for a long time, and I think he can be more than he has been in the NFL. I will say that, like that, when you mentioned those names, and he's one that I've liked, and the other one that I've liked, I, I think he's a free agent this year, maybe not. But Curtis Samuel has always kind of yeah. been intriguing to me too, as a speed guy that could be more than he has been if used differently. So those guys are intriguing to me a little bit. Not that they are huge difference makers, but as you said, there's it's slim pickings on the free agent market.
1: It is slim pickings more than we've seen on the free agent market of wide receivers. It's always dangerous it free is. agent wide receivers, but this is a, a one that's like, okay, well, everybody wants more and more, more and more, and that's understandable at that position. But when there's not anybody to really get, someone's going to get overpaid somewhere along the route. So hopefully the Browns can avoid that. But yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of intriguing decisions to happen at this position. It could be a swing position in terms of, holy cow, they made a huge move right? That's This is one of the positions where it's like, oh, wow, they made a huge move, kind of the same way Cooper was just last year, a huge move maybe that we didn't expect. So uh, eyes will certainly be on that position. Brad, this was fun, man. A lot of good stuff covered topics wise, wide receivers hash those out. Um, a weird year uh, collectively for the offense, but the wide receivers were not the collective issue. I thought they played pretty well this year. And some excitement to be had with that group, but, but again, understand where they, they, they got to get better, man. They got to get better there still. Right.
2: Yeah, absolutely. They, you know, it was good enough this year for well, it wasn't good enough. None of it was good enough, you know, as a team, but a wide receiver ended up being good enough, but I just don't think it will be, Uh, to run it back and say that's good enough, right? And I think it needs to be better, So, especially with Watson, especially the way the offense is going to change too, Jake. And and I think that, especially the way that we're leaning towards it looking like as we move forward, uh, you're going to need another weapon there, I think.
1: I'm with you. I'm with you. That wraps up today, guys, for Brad, for me, for All Eyes on Cleveland, for the OBR Film Breakdown. We appreciate you guys stopping by and listening. A lot of great stuff going on at the OBR. Jack Duffin has a fun GM series that's out there. Obviously, you get your daily mocks. You get your things I think I know about the Cleveland Browns. You're getting a bunch of stuff coming this offseason. We're going to be looking forward to free agents very soon as we put a bow tie on this season. I'll have an article up today um, on things I would like the Browns to schematically or philosophically steal from each of the conference finalists into their offense for next year because i think that there's things that they can learn and take away from those four successful units so keep an eye out for that there are some pretty nifty hats and shirts up i want to remind you again about the obr film breakdown store that's up that you can order uh, get it delivered to your house some great things some Nike gear check that out appreciate again you guys stopping by thanks to brad for being here have a fantastic tuesday go browns